Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, May the 3rd, 2022. It is currently 6.20 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. I have a suggestion. Tell me, tell me if you like this suggestion or if you, or if you would prefer we don't do what I'm about to suggest that we do. How would you like right now to have a conversation, to have a discussion about the Antichrist? That sounds like a great idea. All right, all right, do you think that's a great idea? Are you willing to participate right now in a discussion about the Antichrist? Wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing, are you willing to listen to a discussion about the Antichrist? I'm assuming most people listening will be like, yeah, that sounds interesting. That's far, that's that's a far more interesting topic than anything else you talk about. Yeah, so yeah, get started. Well, before I can get started. Before, okay, someone is someone in chat just said, uh, sure, I, you, you can almost hear the kind of hesitancy there. Maybe they're not as excited as others will be. Some people are like, yeah, biblical prophecy, the Antichrist, the book of Revelation, Second Thessalonians, the Olivet Discourse. Yeah, let's, let's do this. I, I think others of us are not quite as excited. I, I, I want to do this just because I think it will be interesting and, and because it will add. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I think others thought, I think, uh, I think some will be excited. Um, in my view, I want to do this because I think it will add to what we've been working on. So for, for all the new listeners, if you're brand new, let me explain what's been going on. We do something called Bible study exercises where we usually dedicate a passage. We dedicate an entire week to the study of one passage of scripture. There is curriculum. <laughs> there is curriculum. We, there is a Bible memory app. There are podcast episodes. Sometimes there's sermons. There's, but and I give you homework. I give you assignments. But the goal for these Bible study exercises is to get you, yeah, yeah, you. I'm talking to you right there. You to actually be involved in Bible study, not for you just to sit and sit and listen to me tell you what I think it says, but to get you actually involved in study. That's why I give you homework. I give you assignments. You can send it to me. We try to get people involved. Well, we have decided to dedicate eight weeks to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, which is the Olivet Discourse, which a lot of people go to Matthew chapter 24 and immediately start grabbing scriptures from Matthew 24, saying that these scriptures point to the second coming of Christ. They point to the second coming, not to something that's already happened in the past, but something that is still yet in our future, right? And we have made a, I think, a pretty good argument that a large portion of Matthew 24 should not be interpreted as looking to the future, but it should be interpreted as pointing to signs of things that have already occurred. Because Matthew 24, first and foremost, is about Jesus' prediction that the temple would be destroyed, which it was destroyed in 70 AD. So the signs he provides that many people call the signs, you know, the, the, the signs of the end times are really the signs pointing to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and those signs were fulfilled prior to 70 AD. We have looked at this, we've talked about it, and talked about it, and talked about it. Please go find all of our studies in Matthew chapter 24. Please go listen to them. Look for Bible study exercise, Matthew 24. The Church One app is the easiest way to find them. Download the Church One app. That's Church O-N-E, Church O-N-E. When you download the app, you'll have to look for Theology Central because it's a generic app that can be used by a lot of different broadcasters. Just once you type in Church One, it turns it into to the theology, or once you type in Theology Central into the Church One app, it turns it into the Theology Central app. Then simply look for our series, Bible Study Exercises. There's well over 200 of them. Look for all of the episodes dealing with Matthew 24 and start listening, and you can listen to everything that we talked about, all right? So please go do that. But uh, not yesterday, uh, Sunday night, I almost forgot that it's Tuesday. Sunday night, 
we looked at Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 15, which reads, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. The abomination of desolation. Many people read Matthew 24, 15 and think that that is a sign of that well, the end times of Jesus coming back, and they believe the abomination of desolation is when an individual that they will refer to as the Antichrist will walk into a newly built temple, a, a temple that's not currently standing, but a, a temple will be built. He will walk into that temple and declare himself to be God. A lot of people believe the abomination of desolation has not occurred. There's been things similar to it, but the real fulfillment is going to happen in a future temple when the Antichrist walks in. We made a pretty, I think, a pretty solid argument historically, biblically, that there's a high probability that Matthew 24, 15 occurred in 70 AD, we relied on the historical record. We relied on the writings of Josephus. We relied on a lot of different things. And I think there's a pretty solid argument that it did. There's, there's a couple of issues, but I think we, we made a pretty good argument. And the best argument that Matthew 24, 15 has been fulfilled is because, once again, this section of Matthew 24 is about Jesus telling them what are going to be the signs leading up to the destruction of the temple. That's what the whole section is about. Now, you may disagree, but at least go listen to our discussion. But the point is, this verse, everyone wants to talk about the Antichrist, the Antichrist, the Antichrist. I even set, told everyone that Sunday afternoon, when I left Victory Baptist Church and got in my car, I turned on Christian radio, and guess what they were talking about? The Antichrist and the abomination of desolation on Christian radio. So this is a, the Antichrist and the abomination of desolation is constantly, these two ideas are put together. You know that, anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time, you probably are very aware of that. Now, that kind of leads us to this very moment right now, all right? This Tuesday evening, 6.27 p.m. Central Time. Here's what happened this morning. I got up and I, of course, I knew everything that was going on with, with Roe v. Wade and the Supreme Court, just all of that craziness going on. And so when I finally decided, you know what, I'm not going to sit there and just look, you know, look at news articles after news articles after news articles and all of this and just find myself being pulled into all of the yelling and screaming going on today, I'm, I'm going to open up the Sermons 2.0 app, right? The Sermons 2.0 app and look for, you know, some spiritual edification, I opened up the Sermons 2.0 app, and the featured sermon on the Sermons 2.0 app right now is called Antichrist. Antichrist. So I, I, I tapped on it, and uh, the speaker is Ken Weimer, W-I-M-E-R, Ken Weimer. The broadcaster is Shreveport Grace Church. Uh, the date for this appears to be Thursday, February the 24th, 2022. It's 30 minutes long, and its biblical text is 2 Thessalonians, which immediately got stop, made me stop and go, wait a minute, we're going to go to 2 Thessalonians? Wait. We'll talk about why I'm going to, in a sense, kind of throw up my hands and go, time out, time out, time out, we've got to talk. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This goes with everything that we've been talking about. So I know what we'll do. We'll grab it. We'll listen to some of it together. I, I'm, I don't want to try to, I don't want to try to review the whole thing because I want to send everyone to go listen to the rest themselves, but we'll at least do a initial review of it. And I, and listen, remember, I don't listen to it first. So I have no idea what is said. We may completely agree. We may completely disagree. We may be completely like, wait. What are they talking about? Who knows? It may be greatly, it may, there may be great insight gained from it. It may be great confusion gained from it, but I thought it would just be fun to pull everyone together and let's, let's listen to it together. Again, you can find it on the Sermons 2.0 app. It's the featured sermon, so it's right there. It's easy to find. But if you hear this later on and it's no longer the featured sermon, 
again, just type in Antichrist. That's A N capital A, lowercase N T I, capital C, and the lowercase H R I S T. It's a radio broadcast. Again, the speaker is Ken Weimer, W-I-M-E-R. The broadcaster is Shreveport Grace Church, if you want to look for it. Um, it's been listened to 280 times. Those are that's good numbers. That's that's good numbers. Um, now, it's not good numbers if you go back uh, 10, 10, 10 years. Uh, <laughs> used to a featured sermon uh, there would, would would bring in far greater numbers. But but okay, good still good numbers. You know, compared to uh, what the average sermon typically gets, so that's pretty good. And um, I don't know what to expect. I have no idea. I have no idea. So again, let me ask you: Are you, are you sure? Are you sure you're up for this? Are, are you sure? Are you sure? Now, it's only 30 minutes. If, even if we were to broad, review and, and analyze every minute of this, it would take us probably seven months, okay? But thinking caps on, I wish I was at church doing this because I have, no of, I have none of my Bible handbooks. I have none of my dictionaries. I have none of the tools that I typically need to do this. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you are currently listening to me live, and you have access to the Discord channel, I would ask you that within the Discord channel, you post the, fo- the date and the source from which you, are, you found the date. I need you to find the date for the writing of 2 Thessalonians. Right. I need to so- and look in multiple sources. I need I need you to verify multiple sources. You say, well, I could post it in the chat here. Well, the chat on my computer has already stopped. Okay, so I'm gonna have to go open up the Spreaker app to see everyone's comments. But it'll be easier because if you if you post a hyperlink or anything in the Discord channel, I can get to it. So um, po- uh, any I need the dating for Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, the dating for it, because this I think this is going to be I could be wrong, but I'm just I'm just anticipating. I'm anticipating what we're going to need and we're going to need the dates for Second Thessalonians. We've already looked it up before, so I've got a pretty good idea in my mind when it, it when it occurred, but we I need I don't have any sources in front of me that I could say according to this source, so then it would just look like mere speculation and I don't like that. So if, if you're going to be doing homework in real time, Second Thessalonians, all right? So um, I, I, could, I, could, I could do this. I could run downstairs, get in my car, drive to the church, grab all of my uh, tools, bring them back, but you would be sitting here listening to about an hour of silence. <laughs> okay, so I don't think that's a good idea. And I, and I look downstairs and all everything, all of my Bible handbooks, everything are all at the church. So, all right, there you go. That's me kicking my chair. All right, here we go. All right, it's 6.33. I'm going to look at a couple of things really quick. All right. Okay. I've already got... Uh, all right. Ooh. Okay. Um, someone just said that there's a later dating of the book. It, whoever says, uh, wherever you found that there is a later dating of the book, please, that's way late. Wow. That's crazy late. If if you if you uh, whatever source you found that later dating of Second Thessalonians, please let me know where you found that because that is crazy late. I mean that's nuts. That's way. I don't think I've ever seen that late number anywhere. So that that's crazy. I want to know where that source was. Okay, all right. We'll get to that here in just a second. All right. Are you ready to this? So we're gonna go to. The radio broadcast. I get the broadcaster of Shreveport Grace Church. Ken Weimer is the speaker. It's the featured sermon today on Sermons 2.0. It's called Antichrist. I hope this contributes to what we've been talking about. It may, it may lead to more confusion, but it should be a fun few minutes. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome to the Grace Abounding Broadcast, sponsored by the Congregation of the Shreveport Grace Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. My name is Ken Weimer, and it is my privilege to minister the Word of God for you today. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised and exalted through the message preached, and may He, by His Spirit of grace, grant ears to hear to each one He came to save, and ransom by his shed blood on the cross. 
Okay, number one, that, I don't know how it's coming across on your end. That's some serious low volume. <laughs> I've got my computer cranked to 100 uh, for my speakers. I have the volume and the software, which I'm playing it at 100. And uh, I think I've heard uh, a cat meow loud, louder than that. That, that, that. I mean, that is crazy. Uh, I'm going to go back uh, to the beginning of this one more time. It's a radio broadcast. I don't remember the name of the broadcast. That for some weird reason on Sermons 2.0, they don't have they don't list the name of the the radio broadcast, which would be like if I'm doing a radio broadcast, I would want to be promoting it probably in my description. But they don't. Okay. All right. Oh, someone says they can hear it fine. Okay, great. All right. Um Okay, wonderful. We're gonna back it up. So just I wanted to make sure that everyone can hear everything because the last thing I would want is people can't hear it. All right, so here we go again. Welcome to the Grace Abounding Broadcast. Okay, so it's called the Grace Abounding Broadcast. The Grace Abounding Broadcast. I have no idea how many stations it airs on. I don't know. I'm assuming, I'm assuming the broadcaster on Sermons 2.0, which is Shreveport, uh, Shreveport Grace Church, I'm assuming that all of the broadcasts then show up under their... Yeah, I'm assuming it all shows up right there. So um, I don't know. Do they have? Do they have series? Hang on. Okay, I guess radio broadcasts have a series called radio broadcast. So I guess if you uh, go to Shreveport Grace Church, look for their series radio broadcast, you'll find all of them. So I'm just trying to help you be able to find all of their content. Again, if you have the Sermons 2.0 app, find Shreveport Grace Church, click it to follow. And it'll show up in your feed every time they add new content. All right, here we go. Sponsored by the Congregation of the Shreveport Grace Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. My name is Ken Weimer, and it is my privilege to minister the Word of God for you today. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised and exalted through the message preached. And may He, by His Spirit of grace, grant ears to hear to each one He came to save and ransomed by his shed blood on the cross. All right, if you will, look with me in your Bibles in 2 Thessalonians. Okay, now, it appears what they do for their radio broadcast is they take the sermons from Shreveport, uh, Shreveport, let me find it here, Shreveport Grace Church. It looks like they take the sermons from Shreveport Grace Church edit it down, and then it broadcasts live on uh, on radio stations. We used to do the same thing. Um, I always tried to change it up because I'd be like, do I just want to play my sermon? So I, then I would record special things for it, which ended up getting me in trouble. But uh, we used to do the same thing. We used to air on radio with our edited sermons. And then I decided that, well, you know, trying to take a sermon and break it down into little 25 minute segments. It, it, I, I just wanted to just, I'll just, I'll just do special teaching for the radio broadcast, but we got kicked off Christian radio uh, because we ticked off too many people. So it didn't go well for us, but uh, so that's what they're doing. That's, that's, that's cool. And uh, they immediately said, turn to second Thessalonians. All right. Now the, the, the text, it appears is going to be second Thessalonians chapter two. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and before we get anywhere, all right, remember this is supposedly going to be about Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, before we do anything, let's remind ourselves of the dating of 2 Thessalonians, because I think this is very, very important. I don't know which direction they're going to go, so I want to cover this now so that nobody can argue. All right, so it appears from all, all the, the dates that people are currently sending me. We have somewhere around 50 AD or 50 CE, the common era, depending on how, how you, you want to use the way it does in a university or in a Bible college or a seminary. It'll be AD. But around 50 AD, 51 to 52 AD, I have here uh, 50 AD. Uh, that's from, it looks like the Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, someone said that some see it uh, 80 to 115, 80 to 115, which is, I, that's absolutely crazy to me. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen 115, 115 AD for the writing of Second Thessalonians. 80? 
I, I, I don't even know if I've ever seen 80 listed for Second uh, Thessalonians. I've always seen it in the 50s. Jensen's survey of the New Testament, 52 AD, uh, and uh, the Ultimate Bible Guide, 50 AD, Nelson's 50 to 51 AD. So I see here, um, someone has a link to Google Books. Um, I'm looking here. Okay, um, okay. The earliest external testimony to the existence of Second Thessalonians is found in the middle of the second century CE or AD, and uh, a, a list of Pauline letters. A letter of Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, to the Church of Philippi, probably written 115 CE, contains two expressions that resemble expressions from 2 Thessalonians. Okay, the 115 is the letter of Polycarp, and that letter seems to have things in it that resembles expressions found in 2 Thessalonians, meaning that clearly it was already in existence. So 115 is not the writing of 2 Thessalonians. That's the date of the letter from Polycarp. All right, so um, let's see. Do they have anything here that would date 2 Thessalonians? Um, Yeah, they don't. No, yeah, the 115 there is dealing with the letter from Polycarp. All right, so I wanted to make sure we're, we're, we're good to go there and that there's no confusion. All right, so I think everyone, I think everyone, most sources, I think the majority, I would say, are have it in the 50s, all right? Let's go even late as 60 to 65, all right? The reason I'm stressing this, if it is written before 70 A.D., then if there's anything here that is spoken of and a prophetic pointing to the future, is it possible that what they are speaking of was fulfilled in 70 AD? If it speaks of anything that sounds like the abomination of desolation that's referred to in the Olivet Discourse, is it possible that that is pointing to the fulfillment that occurred in 70 AD? That's why I want to look at the date. That's why I want to have it down. Now, I want to do it first because I don't know what he's getting ready to do. So I just want to go ahead and throw this out there. They may mention this. They may throw this idea out. They may ignore the writing of 2 Thessalonians. But if 2 Thessalonians is first before 70 AD, and then they mention some things here in the, or in the reading, I'm going to ask, well, wait a minute, was that fulfilled in 70 AD? And that is what a good Bible student should do. Doesn't matter whether it agrees or disagrees with one's eschatology. It's how we handle the text. All right. So let's see what they're going to say here. Here we go. Chapter two. This is not necessarily a portion of scripture that I relish having to preach from because it clearly is one of warning and admonition, particularly with regard to uh, those that are in unbelief. And it's never an easy subject to have to talk about unbelief or rebellion. And yet, for me, it's one of the reasons why I go through the scriptures verse by verse. And I encourage you to read through the scriptures in the same way, because it it requires us to deal with portions that we wouldn't necessarily deal with otherwise. And uh, this is for our learning. It's for our instruction. And so I want to talk with you for a few moments on the characteristics of the spirit of Antichrist. The man of sin that's described here in verse 3, that term that Paul uses also called the son of perdition. And then again down in verse 7, another synonym, the mystery of iniquity. We're not to look for just one man. I don't believe that's the case. But it's referring to a spirit of unbelief and self-will. Just like we read in Second Peter chapter 2, of men in religion, yes, of those that claim some authority from the scriptures, yes, and yet are unregenerate, they're in unbelief. And the doctrine that they hold and proclaim and uh, the 
organizations that they represent, what they get people to do in works religion is anti-Christ. It goes against Christ. Everything he is. This is kind of interesting. He, it, I, now, I can't say for sure. Remember, I don't listen to these things first because I hate doing that because then it feels like I'm rehearsing. We like to just listen in real time together to something. One, I can point you to things to go listen to and subscribe to. So I've always loved doing that. So definitely go subscribe to this broadcaster and go download uh, this particular message and listen to all of it for yourself. But he seems to be pointing more to the idea that Antichrist is more of a spirit. We're not necessarily looking for a man. Now, I don't know, does that mean he rejects the concept that Antichrist is a person and that Antichrist is merely a spirit or an attitude? I'm not saying that's where he's going, but at least he kind of insinuated that just a little bit. And that would be a that would be a really interesting approach. Um, hey, it's not a person, it's a spirit, it's an attitude, but I, I we would probably have some issue with the son of perdition there, right? So let's see. I'm not saying that's where he's going, just that's kind of what just jumped out at me right there. And I was like, wait, so so we're not looking for a person per se, we're looking for a spirit. All right, let, let's see where they go here. Everything he stands for. And I believe what Paul is showing here is that this spirit will prevail throughout the world until Christ comes again. I wish I could tell you it would be different. I wish I could tell you that if we just went out and knocked on enough doors and worked the numbers like you do in sales, that you could change the course of this world. But, dear friends, it's not the way God has ordained it to be. Okay, so the argument here is that the spirit of Antichrist will be present all the way until Christ returns. So you could argue has been present, is present, and will be present. That seems to be the, the possible idea that they are putting forth. All right, well, we'll have to see if that if that, that that's an interesting approach because then you're not really looking for a person you're just you you're not even really looking for it you're just to be taught right from the very beginning of your christian life that the spirit of antichrist is already present it's already working and here's what it is and here's what you look for and here's how it could impact you spiritually and how you need to stand against it you're not looking for a future person you're looking for this idea now is it possible that yes Antichrist represents a spirit and an attitude, but is it also possible that there was an individual who existed leading up to 70 AD that fulfills quote-unquote Antichrist? Is it possible that there will be a future individual? These are, well, there's lots of different, uh, lots of speculation, but let's just see what they do with, I'm more interested in what they're going to do with 2 Thessalonians. So let's see. Um, All right, here we go. Wheat is going to be wheat and tares are going to be tares. We're to be faithful in our generation and and declare the truth as it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. But understand that this world is full of tares. And a tear never becomes wheat, and a wheat never becomes tares. That's just how it is. And so we can expect that this manifestation of what's called here the man of sin, you know, a man reproduces, doesn't he? There's a reproduction. As we read over there in 2 Peter chapter 2, they're called cursed children. I believe these are used to show us that there is a reproduction in this that goes from generation to generation. Therefore, the man of sin, that seed of the serpent, if you will, that stands opposed to the seed of the woman. All right, so he seems to infer that man of sin is symbolic just for that which reproduces, that the seed of the serpent is here described as the man of sin, that this is not a person. Now, I I wish I could, I really, sometimes I envy other preachers because I couldn't do what he just did. He just makes a dogmatic assertion here. He doesn't prove it. 
He doesn't, <laughs> I wish I could, I wish I could preach that way. Hey, that man of sin there, that just represents the, the seed of the serpent. It's that which reproduces. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Well, I, I would have to spend six months going, okay, guys, so what do we think? Is it a man or is it symbolic? And okay, here's the arguments for it being a man. Here's the arguments. And I would try to provide both. And I, but most pr- preachers don't do that. They just come in like, they, they, I'm telling you, I, I, I figured, I'm not saying that this is what this person does, but I'm saying that in preaching, because I listen to lots and lots of sermons, it just seems like a lot of preachers go to their study. They pull out whichever commentary they love. They get the basic concepts from that commentary. They then put it in their notes in their own words. I'm not saying they're plagiarizing. They put it in their own words, and then they just stand behind the pulpit and preach it as a dogmatic assertion, a dogmatic fact, where I love to put forth the concept. I love to put forth the, the, the particular view, then say, let's challenge it. Let's test it. Let's agree with it. Let's disagree with it. Let's work through it. I, I don't like to give people answers. I'm like to say, here, everyone, here's this perspective. So what do we think? Do we agree or disagree? Okay, for the next six weeks, we're going to work on figuring out whether it's right or whether it's wrong. Now, look, most people hate my, fa- my way of preaching. They hate it. They despise what I do. Because they're, they're like, by the end of six weeks, they're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to believe anymore. I'm so confused. Other people want certainty. But I've always said I will constantly reject certainty over truth. Some people want certainty more than they want truth. They want that just give me something certain. Just give me a, a dogmatic assertion. Now, maybe he's getting ready to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that man here should be not viewed as a man, but viewed as simply that which reproduces, and the spirit of Antichrist continues to reproduce. That seems to be, now maybe I'm not hearing him correctly, but I'm, we're obviously going to give him every opportunity to clarify. So if, I, if I'm, that's always the danger when you're reviewing and analyzing, and you haven't listened before, that I could say something now that he's going to completely just, it's going to make it look like I'm wasting your time. But I just want to at least put forth the concept out there that some people like a more, just a dogmatic assertion to be made. And then everybody sits in the pew and shakes their head. And I'm like, no, give me your perspective. And now let's test it. Like, give me your, your thesis. Give me your hypothesis. Now let's test it to see if it works. And if it doesn't, we throw it out. And you say, but if you do that, you're going to irritate different people. But I don't care about irritating people. I, I care about like the Bible is filled with all kinds of ideas. And there's 2,000 years of disagreement over almost every verse. So why would I stand behind the pulpit always being extremely dogmatic? Why wouldn't I say, hey, there's 2,000 years of disagreement. Now, we in whatever year that I'm speaking, we're going to spend the next six months right now working to see what we think is the right answer. But remember, whatever answer we come up with, the next time we study, we're going to work on a new answer because our previous answer could have been wrong. Yeah, I know it, it leaves you in a perpetual state of uncertainty, but there, there you go. You, you can draw your own conclusions about it. Let, let's see where they go here. So it's just, just an interesting take that they're putting forth. All right, here we go. All of these are terms that we can understand from Scripture. But uh, even as we saw last time in 1 John 2, 18, where John said, you've heard that Antichrist should come. I tell you that many Antichrists, even in his day, he said many have already gone out into the world. So with that in mind, what I want to do in this portion from verse 3 down to verse 12, I'm going to read it again. Now, I agree in First John, it says many Antichrists went out, but that would be individuals. Many individuals. So you, you could argue that Antichrist is a spirit or an idea that many individuals are then called that because of what they take forth. But that doesn't completely destroy the idea that there could be one. There have been many antichrists, but that doesn't mean there won't be the one, right? But the main thing is, what what is the antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2? Just because many have gone out doesn't, to me, give me a a hermeneutical argument or a hermeneutical excuse to when I read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself 
above all that is called God, the, the, the language is speaking of a person. So I don't think just because there are many antichrists or that antichrist can be viewed as a spirit or an idea gives me some hermeneutical license to say, well, in 2 Thessalonians, that's not an actual person. That, that seems, I, I'm questioning the hermeneutical approach there. You know, hey, I, I, I believe uh, Antichrist is just a spirit, so this is not a real person. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Based off what? Language? Let me go through language again. The language here, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, whatever that day they're referring to, shall not come. That day, whatever that day that's referring to is not going to come, except there comes a falling away first. A falling away is going to occur. Then that, that man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself. This is clearly using language referring to a person. Now, who is this person? I don't think I have biblical grounds to just throw it out going, it's not really a person. It's just symbolic of a spirit. It, that, that, that seems odd. All right, let's continue. And then we're going to, I'm going to summarize what I believe characterizes the spirit of Antichrist here. Now here Paul says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. What day is he talking about? Verse 1, our gathering together unto him, okay, in his second coming, except there come a falling away first. Now, let me stop right here. He makes an argument that that day refers to verse 1, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So let no man de- uh, uh, let no man deceive you by any means for that day. So they're saying that day refer well. They're they say reverse to verse one. Wouldn't it be verse two as that the day of Christ is at hand? Is that day referring to the day of Christ? And what is that referring to? Now I'm just going to put forth a preterist perspective here. Could it be that this day that's being referred to here is 70 AD? I'm just going to put forth this idea and that the man here, the son of perdition, is whoever, in a sense, fulfills the Olivet Discourse, abomination of desolation, which would probably be Titus. Now, I'm not saying this per- perfectly works. I'm th- Look, he's throwing out dogmatically, I'm at least throwing you out options that you have to at least consider. That's why we looked at the date of 2 Thessalonians. And at this point, he's not mentioned the date. Now, he may have mentioned it in their study, but I think it would need to come into play right here. And again, I don't know if you could just immediately just dogmatically say that day is referenced to one when the day of Christ is mentioned in two. And then you have to ask yourself, what is the day of Christ? Just throwing out ideas. Let's continue. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Here you go. The abomination of desolation. He sits in the temple to basically declaring himself to be God. Well, when the Romans came in and destroyed the temple, bringing in their symbol, right? The eagle, they, they basically were declaring themselves, we're God. Your God has just been destroyed. Your God has been defeated by the, the God of the Roman emperor. So was is that a fulfillment? Now, everyone immediately goes to this and say, no, this is pointing to a future temple and the Antichrist. But is it possible that this somehow was fulfilled in 70 AD? Yeah, I'm not saying that it was. I'm not saying that it wasn't. I'm just saying that any, any discussion about this, you got to mention it. And I don't know how preachers can just ignore all the other possible options here. All right, let's continue. In other words, that's how he represents himself to men as being one with God. 
And there are many today in religion that boast of that. They say we're as sure of heaven as God's own name. <laughs> they don't see anything in themselves that's different from who God is. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. So tie this in with what John said. There are many antichrists already that have gone out into this world. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Okay, now, I agree there were false Christs leading up to 70 AD. There were many already going out. I completely agree. There's no disagreement there. There's no disagreement there. Now, where does this, does this, does this fall apart from a 70 AD? Well, him that leadeth until he be uh, taken out of the way, many people believe that's the Holy Spirit, and clearly we wouldn't believe the Holy Spirit was, now when they say taken out of the way, taken out of the way from his immediate job of holding back doesn't mean completely removed from the world. A lot of, a lot, there are a lot of assumptions that a lot of people throw into their interpretations here, but let's, let's see what they do with this, all right? Talk about that here in a little bit, what that means. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they... Now, I think we can all agree that if we were trying to look at it from a preterist perspective, verse 8, and then that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and to destroy with the brightness of his coming. Verse 8 would be majorly problematic by leaving it in 70 AD. I think we could all agree verse 8 would be that verse that you'd be like, I don't know how this works. So I think the question would be, do you have anything in 2 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 3 and following, that would give you a hermeneutical justification to say this is not a real person, this is a spirit. This is not talking about a person. So we're not looking for a person, and we're not looking for any future fulfillment. We're just looking that this spirit is going to be present and has always been present. Or are we looking for an individual who's going to walk into, obviously, a rebuilt temple and declare themselves to be God? If we say that this is pointing to a real individual and that this real individual wasn't Titus in 70 AD, then it has to be future because I don't, I don't see how hermeneutically I can say this is not a real person and that's not a real temple and I just turn this into just mere allegorical symbolism, there I have a massive, uh, I have a massive problem. Because if all of this is just symbolism, if all of this is just allegory and it's not real, well, then why would I believe Christ is going to come back in a literal way? Right? They receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, here's the first. I've, I've written down here four characteristics of this spirit of Antichrist. The first is this, that the spirit of Antichrist, or this man of sin, or this mystery of iniquity, is brought on by a general apostasy that has taken over the world. And again, the idea of a man begetting, the idea here is that it is ongoing and produces all sorts of false doctrines and perversions of the truth. I believe that's the sense there in verse 3, except there come a falling away first. There's a moving away from the standard. What's the standard? Well, it's certainly not a denomination, and it's certainly not a creed written by men or a confession of faith. The standard is the word. I don't care whether it's John Gill or Charles Spurgeon or who it is. Every man's commentary has to be weighed in light of this word right here. This is the standard, because the falling away, when this heart begins to look to man's word, over and above God's word. 
Okay? But that's what this spirit of Antichrist will do. It will get me. I, I know as preachers, we all do this. I sometimes have to laugh. Hey, no creed, no confession, no man's words, not Spurgeon, not Gill, not Calvin, not Luther, just the word of God. You do find the irony in that. We're listening to you. <laughs> all right? Hey, don't listen to anyone, just the word of God. Oh, and listen to me and, and listen to me. It, uh, yeah, you, I, I look, I've caught myself doing it and go, well, I, I, that's a little inconsistent, right? This, so I, I do understand that the Bible is the standard, but we do listen to people. And, and I don't know if we can just immediately disregard confessions and all of that. But I understand. And we could get into how, well, we could ha- get into a long church history discussion here. But okay. All right. So I, it, he, okay, I'm just, it, it just, I think he's just going to go that there, there's, this is not referring to our real man. This is just referring to, the spirit of Antichrist, and that this, this is not referencing a real person. Let's see what else he does here. Men's eyes off of Christ, off of what's clearly revealed here, and that's why we even have to be careful with translation. I realize, you know, sometimes it's difficult, because if you don't know the original language, you might say, well, how are we going to figure this out? But the Lord's given us tools. There's some concordances, Strong's concordance. There's a Bible online, online Bible, which you can just right click and go back and look at some of the original meanings, weigh these things wherever there's discrepancies, because it's so vital. Uh, The spirit of Antichrist, to me, it becomes evident with people who say, well, you know, I haven't got time to worry about all that. A carelessness with regard to the word of God. But secondly, here in verse four, I believe that a second characteristic is that this spirit of Antichrist, it really manifests itself in two ways, doesn't it? What's the first way? Well, verse 4 says it opposes, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. So just look at that very first one, opposeth himself above all that is called God. Now, I'm telling you, as the Lord teaches you, you bow. As he reveals by his spirit, his word, and any of us that the Lord has dealt with in mercy, that's exactly our testimony. You know, we read scriptures for a while, and we had this understanding of who God was, but as the Lord taught us, we began to lay down those idols. Every false notion, just like David, I hate every false way. And the Lord, he does it progressively he doesn't it's not just that all of a sudden you have full knowledge and then i'm done we constantly continue to learn as you read the scriptures you see ways in yourself that you never realized before i've been in rebellion i haven't been submitted to god's will or god's way by his spirit and grace we align ourselves with with who he is even if it means taking sides with god against yourself That's the spirit of grace, I believe. We're not trying to change God. We're not trying to make him palatable to men. We're not trying to take away from any aspect of his attributes, whether it's his sovereignty or his justice, even for the sake of mercy. We don't dispense of his justice so that he can be merciful, even when it involves our loved ones, ones we care deeply for. I, I'm a little perplexed and baffled by this. I really am because you have a text in front of you. Let me, let me just read it to you again. Let no man deceive you by any means. So Paul does not want the people at Thessalonica to be deceived. Hey guys, do not be deceived for that day. Whatever day he's referring to, he doesn't want the people at the church at Thessalonica. He doesn't want them to be deceived. This seems to be a a specific warning to them. Hey, guys, I don't want you to be deceived. That day, whatever day that they're talking about, whatever day, we we could discuss that. But whatever day that it is, he wants them to know that that day is not going to come until a falling away happens first. So there's going to be a falling away first. 
There's going to be a, so, hey, guys, that day is not going to occur until, until there's a falling away. So first there's a falling away. Now, you could argue, does, was that work before 70 AD? Does, does that work? Like if, if we're even considering 70 AD. But here's what baffles me. Then he says, okay, that day, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So he writes and says, okay, that day is not going to happen until a falling away occurs, occurs, and then this man of sin is going to be revealed, the son of perdition. He's the man of sin, the son of perdition. This person is going to be revealed before the day occurs. Now, let's just stop right here. According to the perspective that we are listening and at this point, it just, he doesn't even seem wanting to, he doesn't even deal with the actual verbiage here. It's just, it's the spirit of Antichrist. So here are four things about the spirit of Antichrist. He completely doesn't, he just dogmatically asserts, this is not a person. This is not a person. This is symbol, symbolism. This is symbolism. This is a, like, no, what would be your hermeneutical justification so this would be a view, if, if, you've, if you've ever studied anything about Antichrist, just know that clearly there is a view out there that says Antichrist is not a real person, okay? It is just a spirit that has been present, is present, and will always be present until Christ returns. And when they preach this text, I, I'm going to give him opportunity here to do so. Is he going to address any of the fact that the way, the pronouns that are used, the, the terminology that is used, the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, all right? That, uh, that God, in verse 8, and when then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. I mean, I don't know how you could just immediately go, no, not a person. This is just not a, I, I, I'm sometimes baffled with what people can do with the word of God. Like what, what would be our reading? What would be the rules of reading that you would use here to go? Nope, not a real person. Nope. Just arbitrarily, not a real person. No. Like, based off what? Uh, so let me, let me give you an example. Paul, is he a real? Uh, go to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Is Paul a real person? Is Sylvanus a real person? Is Timotheus a real person? Are the, are, as the church of, uh, of the Thessalonians, was it a real church? Is God real? Is Jesus Christ real? Right? Oh, everything in chapter one, when it refers to people and places, are they real, literal people and places? Now, I beseech ye, brethren, are those real people? By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that a real Jesus who's really going to come? That ye be not soon shaken in mind. Speaking of them, the, the people there, don't be shaken in mind. Or be troubled neither by the spirit, nor by the word, nor by the letter as from us. Is that a real, real people? Like everything, in, is it real? And then all of a sudden you get to this son of perdition, this man of sin and son of perdition. Not real, not real, not a real person. Just symbolic, just symbolic of the spirit of Antichrist. That just seems like hermeneutically, I don't follow that. And put it this way, here, here's what I would say. I don't follow it because what we've heard has not even attempted to provide a hermeneutical justification for it. But but let's let's see. Let's give him a little bit of chance. We're almost out of time. Let's give him a little bit of chance to address the fact that it uses these terms. Maybe he's going to completely clean it up here and then I completely misunderstand, but it sounds like he's not viewing it as a person. For pray for God will be God. And you know those that have not been taught, they'll find that to be hard. They think that's a monster God. What kind of God would actually create sinners to send them to hell? I've had people ask me that before. They oppose themselves above all that is called God. And when you talk about above, it means you're bringing God down now to your level. And that's what we see in this in false religion, don't we? We see God being brought down to bumper stickers, to uh, coffee cups. 
and trinkets. Men relish it. They think it's cute. But that's that spirit of Antichrist. It opposes all that is called God. You know, many of the reformers, and you can go back and read some of the commentators, they, of course, see this as referring to the Pope. I wouldn't say that that's just referring to the Catholic Church. You can see in Baptist religion, you can see in Pentecostal religion, you can see in Methodism, in Presbyterianism, all the isms you want to, Pentecostalism, you can see how men oppose themselves above God. And uh, that brings me to the second point here of how this is manifest. It exalts himself. You see that in scripture there? You cannot oppose yourself to God without exalting yourself. That's really where the issue is, isn't it? In our pride and unbelief, we thought ourselves to be something when we were nothing. So he opposeth himself. I mean, let me read it directly. This is bizarre. Okay. He exalteth himself, right? And be, so exalting him, or who opposeth and exalteth himself. You cannot oppose God without exalting yourself. That's a great quote. You cannot oppose God without exalting yourself. That's gold right there. That's, you may want to write that down. That's like, hmm, that's, that's good stuff right there. You cannot oppose God without exalting yourself. That's gold. That's, that's brilliant. I need to send that out. Sometimes I send out little notices uh, for the uh, Church One app. That's got to be one I send out. That's brilliant. That's great. So even in a sermon that I may disagree with, I always try to find that one thing that I can grab onto and go, ooh, that's good. That's good. But he, I am baffled by this. So here in this passage, the individual who opposeth God and exalteth himself is not an individual. It's you and me. If we oppose God, we exalt ourselves. This is now about us. This, this, is, this is about you and me. I, I don't know what this has to do with the people at the church of Thessalonica because they're long dead. But it's, this is about us. This is about, this is about a warning. Hey, this is not, he's almost teaching it this way. Hey, guys, I'm not telling you. He, he's warning them that this day is not going to occur until this happens He's preaching it as not that he's warning them, look for these signs, because that's how you know that the day hasn't happened yet. He's not, according to the way this is being preached, he's telling them, hey guys, don't have this spirit. Don't be like this. He's, he, they're preaching this in a very like, don't do, don't be like this. This is a, uh, a very like law-based message. He's not giving them, here are the signs so that you know the day hasn't happened yet. The day won't happen until this occurs. This is not being preached like he's trying to help them know if the day has occurred. This is being preached that, hey, guys, don't be like this. Don't have this spirit. That is not the right way to preach this. This is not being preached, hey, guys, don't have this spirit. This is being preached, guys. This is how you're going to know if the day has happened yet. <laughs> this goes against the entire purpose. This is crazy. But, but, but I'm glad we're hearing this because I, I would, a lot of times you say, give me the different perspectives on Antichrist. I don't know if I would have said, well, number one is a view that basically says there is no Antichrist. It's just the spirit of Antichrist. That so I'm, I'm so I'm grateful for this again, I, and I would t- follow this broadcaster on sermons 2.0. In fact, I'm, I'm I want you to go listen to the rest of the sermon yourself because we're we're getting ready to stop. I want you to go listen to the rest of for yourself. I disagree, but I I listen to lots of people I may disagree with because I want to be challenged. I needed this challenge because I would have probably not even considered like, hey, whenever we talk about Antichrist, remember there's a view out there that says Antichrist is not a real person. It's just a a spirit. I would have not even considered that as a a view. I I don't even think I would have even thought about that. But here we're hearing it. See, so, so we're benefiting from hearing it. I don't want you to think, well, what did we gain from this? You were just given a new perspective on it. And the more perspectives you know, the better qualified you are when trying to figure it. But the main thing is I want you to just see the hermeneutic that's being used here. 
that they've taken what 2 Thessalonians 2 appears to be written to do. Hey, guys, don't let anyone, in fact, let me read it to you. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Hey, this is being written to the people at Thessalonica so they will not be shaken, they will not be moved, they will not be bothered because they are concerned that maybe this day has passed and he wants them to know, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come until the following things occur. He's giving them the signs to know that these things must happen before that day occurs. And he's not preaching this, hey, here's the spirit of Antichrist. Don't be like this. That's not what's happening. It's just amazing that we can have a text that literally gives us the purpose in the text, and we obliterate the purpose to impose our own purpose upon the text. I've been guilty of it. You've been guilty of it. This is a lesson for us to not follow because that is what I feel is happening here. Let's just finish this section. What is that but free will? This idea of free will, exalting oneself above God. A lot of people take that lightly. I like what some of the old writers said about free will. It's an idol to be destroyed. Hey, hey, we don't listen to other people. Hey, I like what some of the old commentators had to say. <laughs> you you got to kind of laugh there. Preachers do that all the time. It's just the Bible. It's just the word of God. We don't need all of these other commentaries. And then, well, commentaries mentioned. Okay, but that, that well, I mean, I've done the same thing. We've all done it. An idol is an idea. It's a false notion, either of God or ourselves, that has to be taken out of the way. But we see in religion how men exalt themselves all the time. I still get letters from people written to Reverend Ken Weimer. (laughs) I just wish that thing would go away. It's abominable to think that man would take to himself such a title. Uh, Men love it, the title of apostle or bishop, bishop so-and-so. You know, even pastor is kind of a subtle way for many to, to try to exalt a man. He's the pastor. You know, that word just simply means an under-shepherd. If you went out and told somebody that your life's work was being a shepherd of sheep, that's what you do. No one would think much of you. But that's what we are. That's what we are. But what a blessing to be a shepherd of, of Christ's sheep, pointing sinners to Christ alone, not to men, to Christ. In verses 6 and 7 I believe we see a third characteristic here, and that is that the spirit of Antichrist is one which, if it were not for God's restraining hand, it would be worse than what it is right now. Okay, he's not going to address anything there about, he, he he's not going to address the actual purpose of the section, which is to give the people in Thessalonica signs so they, they know that the day hasn't occurred yet. He he didn't even address the actual textual basis for what we're reading. Number two, he completely ignored the language, what clearly indicates that this is a person. Number three, he turned this entire preaching into being about you and me not following this spirit, which doesn't even seem to be the, the focus here and would be of no value to the people in Thessalonica other than saying, don't do this, don't be this way, don't be this way. And that's not what is being said there. So there you have it. I, I don't know what else to do with that other than I. we learned some hermeneutical lessons. We learned a new view about the Antichrist, that it's not a real person, it's just a spirit. And uh, there you go. I'm just going to stop right there because we're already at an hour and three minutes. So here's what I want you to do. There's 15 minutes left of that sermon. I want you to go listen to the rest of it. All right. Ken Weimer, Shreveport Grace Church. It's the featured sermon on Sermons 2.0. Just go fast forward it to, um, fast forward it to about 16 minutes left, um, just to make sure you don't miss anything. And uh, go listen to the rest for yourself. And let me know what you find. Let me know if you see anything interesting, because I think it'll be very beneficial and helpful to you to hear a, a perspective that, well, completely different than any perspective we've looked at. Um, 
I, I'm grateful for it because I, I would have probably not considered a perspective, but I'm, I'm baffled at the hermeneutics used here. I am baffled uh, because 2 Thessalonians 2 has a specific purpose. Hey, the people at Thessalonica, let no one deceive you. Don't be troubled. Don't be bothered. That day has not occurred, and here's how you know. Here are the signs. Here's what has to happen. And then this has been preached as, hey, guys, don't be like this. Don't have this spirit. And it's just, well, that's just fascinating to me how the text of Scripture can just be, well, man, the things that we, it's the things we do in the church with Scripture that always blows me away. Um, that one's just fascinating to me, all right? I'm going to check Discord, make sure no one has a question. I'm going to check all of our different places that people can chat while we're live on the air. Nothing in Discord. I'm going to go here. Nothing there. All right. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I would challenge you, go listen to um, the Bible study exercise series. Especially, I mean, there's over 200 episodes, but just go listen to all the ones we've done on Matthew 24. The reason we decided to do this today is because we we just finished looking at Matthew 24, 15, which is the abomination of desolation, which many people would connect here with 2 Thessalonians. And so we looked at it from a more of a preterist perspective. I wanted to hear what this perspective was. Remember when I review something, I don't listen to it first because I hate that whole like feeling like I'm producing a, a show. I just want to have like a real time, let's listen to it together and see what we learn. I thought it was awesome that this was the featured sermon. And we definitely, we got our money's worth. We got a perspective that I had not considered or thought of, which will challenge us. And um, and we kind of got a little bit of lesson in hermeneutics. And uh, well, we'll see. And now I want you to go listen to the rest of it and see what you find and you discover for yourself. And uh well, we'll see if uh, we may have to do a little work on Second Thessalonians at some point. But right now, we got to finish Matthew 24, and we'll be back to Matthew 24 on Sunday evening at Victory Baptist Church. So um, there you go. All right. If you have any questions, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. If you want to find all of our Bible study exercises, over 200, you can participate. You can do the homework. You can have access to the curriculum. Church One app. Just download the Church One app, type in Theology Central. It will turn the Church One app into the Theology Central app. Look for series, look for Bible study exercises, and you'll see all the ones for Matthew 24. And you can hear us look at Matthew 24 from a lot of different perspectives, but we've definitely entertained and considered the preteristic, uh, the preterism, preterist perspective, because I think it's been very challenging, and uh, hopefully it's been very beneficial. All right, I'll stop right there. Everyone have a great night. God bless.